Section 2 of Studies in Love and in Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa Green. Studies in Love and Terror by Marie Belloc Laudus. Price of Admiralty, Chapter 2. At nine o'clock the next morning, Jacques de Wisson stood in his wife's boudoir. It was a strange and beautiful room likely to linger in the memory of those who knew its strange and beautiful mistress. The walls were draped with old Persian shawls. The furniture was of red Chinese lacquer, a set acquired in the East by some Norman sailing-man unnumbered years ago, and bought by Claire de Wisson out of her own slender income not long after her marriage. Pale blue and faded yellow silk cushions softened the formal angularity of the wide cane-seated couch and low square chairs. There was a deep crystal bowl of midsummer flowering roses on the table, laden with books, by which Claire often sat long hours reading poetry in volumes, written by modern poets and authors of whom her husband had only vaguely heard, and of whom he definitely disapproved. The window was wide open, and there floated in from the garden, which sloped away to the edge and indeed over the crumbling cliff, fragrant, salt-laden odors, dominated by the clean, sharp scent thrown from huge shrubs of red and white geraniums. The balls of blossom set against the belt of blue sea formed a band of waving tricolor. But Jacques de Wisson was unconscious, uncaring of the beauty round him, either in the room or without, and when at last he walked forward to the window his face hardened as his eyes instinctively sought out the spot where, if hidden from his sight, he knew there lay the deep transparent waters of the little bay which had been selected as providing ideal quarters for the submarine flotilla. He had eagerly assented to the sacrifice of his land, and what meant far more to him, of his privacy, but now he would have given much, and he was a careful man, to have had the submarine station swept away, transferred to the other side of Falaise. Down there, out of sight of the pavillon, and yet but a few minutes away if one used the dangerous cliff stairway, dwelt Jacques de Wisson's secret foe, for the man of whom he was acutely miserably jealous was Commander Dupree, of whose coming departure he as yet knew nothing. The owner of the pavillon de Wisson seldom entered the room where he now stood impatiently waiting for his wife, and he never did so without looking round him with distaste and remembering with an odd wistful feeling what it had been like in his mother's time. Then le boudoir de madame had reflected the tastes and simple interests of an old-fashioned provincial lady born in the year that Louis-Philippe came to the throne. Greatly did the man now standing there prefer the room as it had been to what it was now. The heavy, ugly furniture which had been there in the days of his lonely youth, for he had been an only child, was now in the schoolroom where the twin daughters of the house, Clarette and Jacqueline, did their lessons with Miss Doughty, their English governess. Clarette and Jacqueline? Jacques de Wisson's lantern-jawed, expressionless face quickened into feelings he thought of his two little girls. They were the pride, as well as the only vivid pleasure of his life. All that he dispassionately admired in his wife— was, so he sometimes told himself with satisfaction, repeated in his daughters. Clarette and Jacqueline had inherited their mother's look of race, her fastidiousness and refinement of bearing, while fortunately lacking Claire's dangerous personal beauty, her touch of eccentricity, and her discontent with life, or rather, with the life which Jacques de Wisson, in spite of a gnawing ache and longing that nothing could still or assuage, yet found good. The mayor of Falaise looked strangely out of keeping with his present surroundings, at least so he would have seemed to the eye of any foreigner, especially of any Englishman who had seen him standing there. 
He was a narrowly built man, forty-three years of age, and his clean-shaven, rather fleshy face was very pale. On this hot August morning, he was dressed in a light grey frock coat, under which he wore a yellow waistcoat, and on his wife's writing-table lay his tall hat and lemon-coloured gloves. As mayor of his native town, a position he owed to an historic name and to his wealth, and not to his very moderate Republican opinions, his duties included the celebration of civil marriages. And today, it being the 14th of August, the eve of the Assumption and still a French national fete, there were to be a great many weddings celebrated in the Hôtel de Ville. Jacques de Huisson considered that he owed it to himself, as well as to his fellow citizens, to appear correctly attired on such occasions. He had a deep, wordless contempt for those of his acquaintances who dressed on ceremonial occasions à l'anglaise, that is, in loose lounge suits and straw hats. Suddenly there broke on his ear the sound of a low, full voice singing. It came from the next room, his wife's bedroom, and the mournful, passionate words of an old sea ballad rang out, full of a desolate pain and sense of bitter loss. The sound irritated him shrewdly, and there came back to him a fragment of conversation he had not thought of for ten years. During a discussion held between his father and mother in this very room about their adored only son's proposed marriage with Claire de Kergue, his father had said, "'There is one thing I do not much care for. She is, they say, very musical, and Jacques, even as a baby, howled like a dog whenever he heard singing.' And his mother had laughed. "'Mon ami, you cannot expect to get perfection.' even for our Jacques. And Claire, so he now admitted unwillingly to himself, had never troubled him over much with her love of music. He knocked twice sharply on his wife's door. The song broke short with an almost cruel suddenness, and yet there followed a perceptible pause before he heard her say, Come in. And then, as Jacques de Wissant slowly turned the handle of the door, he saw his wife Claire before she saw him. He had a vision, that is, of her as she appeared when she believed herself to be alone, if not alone, then in sight of eyes that were indifferent, unwatchful. But Jacques's eyes, which his wife's widowed sister, the frivolous Parisienne, Madeleine Baudouin, had once unkindly compared to Fish's eyes, were now filled with a watchful, suspicious light which gave a tragic mask to his pallid, plain-featured face. Claire de Wissant was standing before a long, narrow mirror placed at right angles to a window looking straight out to sea. Her short, narrow, dark blue skirt and long blue silk jersey silhouetted her slender figure, the figure which remained so supple, so... so girlish in spite of her nine-year-old daughters. There was something shy and wild, untamed and yet beckoning, in the oval face now drawn with pain and sleeplessness, in the grey almond-shaped eyes reddened with secret tears and in the firm, delicately modelled mouth. She was engaged in tucking up her dark curling hair under a grey yachting cap, and for a few moments she neither spoke nor looked round to see who was standing framed in the door. But when at last she turned away from the mirror and saw her husband, the colour rushing into her pale face caused an unbecoming flush to cover it. "'I thought it was one of the children,' she said a little breathlessly. And then she waited, assuming, or so Jacques thought, an air at once of patience and of surprise which sharply angered him. Then her look of strain, nay of positive illness, gave him an uneasy twinge of discomfort. Could it be anxiety concerning her second sister, Marie-Anne, who, married to an Italian officer, was now ill of scarlet fever at Mantua? Two days ago Claire had begged very earnestly to be allowed to go and nurse Marie-Anne, but he, Jacques, had refused, not unkindly, but quite firmly. Claire's duty, of course, lay at fillets with her husband and children, not at Mantua, with her sister. Suddenly she again broke silence. Well, she said, is there anything you wish to tell me? 
they had never used the familiar thee and thou the one to the other for at the time of their marriage an absurd whim of fashion had ordained on the part of french wives and husbands a return to eighteenth-century formality and claire had chosen in that one instance to follow fashion she added seeing that he still did not speak i am lunching with my sister to-day but i shall be home by three o'clock she spoke with the chill civility a lady shows a stranger claire seldom allowed herself to be on the defensive when speaking to her husband jacques de wissant frowned he did not like either of his wife's sisters neither the one who was now lying ill in italy nor his widowed sister-in-law madeleine Baudouin. in the villa which she had hired for the summer and which stood on a lonely stretch of beach beyond the bay madeleine often entertained the officers of the submarine flotilla and this from her brother-in-law's point of view was very far from correct conduct on the part of one who could still pass as a young widow in response to his frown there had come a slight mocking smile on claire's face i suppose you are on your way to some important town function she disliked the town of Falaise. the town folk bored her and she hated the vast old family house in the market-place where she had to spend each winter to-day is the fourteenth of august observed jacques de wissant in his deliberate voice and i have a great many marriages to celebrate this morning yes i suppose that is so and again claire de wissant spoke with the courteous indifference the lack of interest in her husband's concerns which she had early schooled him to endure but all at once there came a change in her voice in her manner why to-day the fourteenth of august is our wedding day how stupid of me to forget we must tell jacqueline and clarette it will amuse them she uttered the words a little breathlessly and as she spoke jacques de wissant walked quickly forward into the room as he did so his wife moved abruptly away from where she had been standing thus maintaining the distance between them but claire de wissant need not have been afraid her husband had his own strict code of manners and to this code he ever remained faithful he possessed a remarkable mastery of his emotions and he had always showed with regard to herself so singular a power of self-restraint that claire not unreasonably doubted if he had any emotions to master any passionate feeling to restrain all he now did was to take a chagrin case out of his breast pocket and hold it out towards her claire he said quietly i have brought you in memory of our wedding day a little gift which i hope you will like it is a medallion of the children and as she at last advanced towards him he pressed a spring and revealed a dull gold medal on which moulded in high relief and superimposed the one on the other were clarettes and jacqueline's childish delicately pure profiles a softer kindlier light came into claire de wissant's sad grey eyes she held out a hesitating hand and jacques de wissant before placing his gift in it took that soft hand in his and bending rather awkwardly kissed it lightly in france even now a man will often kiss a woman's hand by way of conventional respectful homage but to claire the touch of her husband's lips was hateful so hateful indeed that she had to make an instant effort to hide the feeling of physical repulsion with which that touch had suddenly engulfed her in certain dark recesses of memory and revolt it is a charming medallion she said hurriedly quite a work of art jacques and i thank you for having thought of it it gives me great very great pleasure and then something happened which was to her so utterly unexpected that she gave a stifled cry of pain almost it seemed of fear as she forced herself to look straight into her husband's face the anguish in her own sore heart unlocked the key to his and she perceived with the eyes of the soul which see when they are not holden so much that is concealed from the eyes of the body the suffering the dumb longing she had never allowed herself to know were there for the first time since her marriage 
since that wedding day of which this was the tenth anniversary claire felt pity for jacques as well as for herself for the first time her rebellious heart acknowledged that her husband also was enmeshed in a web of tragic circumstance jacques she cried oh jacques and as she so uttered his name twice there came a look of acute distress and then of sudden resolution on her face i wish you to know she exclaimed that that if i were a wicked woman i should perhaps be to you a better wife thanks to the language in which she spoke there was a play on the word that word which in french signifies woman as well as wife he stared at her and uttered no word of answer of understanding in response to her strange speech at one time not lately but many years ago claire had sometimes tried his patience by the odd unreasonable thing she said and once stung beyond bearing he had told her so remembering those cold measured words of rebuke she now caught with quick exultant relief at the idea that jacques had not understood the half-confession wrung from her by her sudden vision of his pain and she swung back to a belief she had always held till just now the belief that he was dull dull and unperceptive with a nervous smile she turned again to her mirror and then jacques de wisson with his wife's enigmatic words ringing in his ears abruptly left the room as if pursued by some baneful presence he hastened through claire's beautiful boudoir across the dining-room hung with the gobelins tapestries which his wife had brought him as part of her slender dower and so into the oval hall which formed the centre of the house and there jacques de wisson waited for a while trying to still and to coordinate his troubled thoughts and impressions ah yes he had understood understood only too well claire's strange ambiguous utterance there are subtle unbreathed temptations which all men and all women when tortured by jealousy not only understand but divine before they are actually in being jacques de wisson now believed that he was justified of the suspicions of which he had been ashamed his wife moved by some obscure desire for self-revelation to which he had had no clue had flung at him the truth yes without doubt claire could have made him happy so little would have contented his hunger for her had she been one of those light women of whom he sometimes heard who go from their husbands kisses to those of their lovers but if he sometimes nay often heard of them jacques de wissant knew nothing of such women the men of his race had known how to acquire honest wives ay and keep them so there had never been in the de wissant family any of those ugly scandals which stain other clans and which are remembered over generations in french provincial towns those scandals which if they provoke a laugh and cruel sneer when discussed by the indifferent are recalled with long faces and anxious whisperings when a young girl's future is being discussed and which make the honourable marriage of daughters difficult of achievement jacques de wisson thanked the god of his fathers that claire had nothing in common with such women as those he thought he did not need her assurance to know that his honour in the usual narrow sense of the phrase was safe in her hands but still her strange imprudent words of half a vowel racked him with jealous and yes suspicious pain fortunately for him he was a man burdened with much business and so at last he looked at his watch why it was getting late terribly late and he prided himself on his punctuality still if he started now at once he would be at the hotel de ville a few minutes before ten o'clock the time when the first of the civil marriages he had to celebrate that morning was time to take place without passing through the house he made his way rapidly round by the gardens to the road winding ribbon-wise behind the cliffs where his phaeton was waiting for him for jacques de wisson had as yet resisted the wish of his wife and the advice of those of his friends who considered that he ought to purchase an automobile 
driving had been from boyhood one of his few pleasures and accomplishments but as he drove keeping his fine black bays well in hand the five miles into town and tried to fix his mind on a commercial problem of great importance with which he would be expected to deal that day jacques de wissant found it impossible to think of any matter but that which for the moment filled his heart to the exclusion of all else that matter concerned his own relations to his wife and his wife's relations to commander dupree this gentleman of france was typical in more than one sense of his nation and of his class quite unlike that is to the fancy picture which foreigners draw of the average frenchman reserved and cold in manner proud with an intense but never openly expressed pride in his name and of what the bearers of it had achieved for their country obstinate and narrow as are apt to be all human beings whose judgment is never questioned by those about them jacques de wisson's fetish was his personal honour and the honour of his name of the name of wisson in his distress and disturbance of mind for his wife's half-confession had outraged his sense of what was decorous and fitting his memory travelled over the map of his past life ay and even beyond the boundaries of his own life before him lay spread retrospectively the story of his parents uneventful happy marriage they had been mated in the good old french way that is up to their wedding morning they had never met save in the presence of their respective parents and yet and yet how devoted they had been to each other so completely one in thought in interest in sympathy had they grown that when after thirty-three years of married life his father had died jacques's mother had not known how to go on living she had slipped out of life a few months later and as she lay dying she had used a very curious expression my faithful companion is calling me she had said to her only child and you must not try dear son to make me linger on the way now to-day jacques de wisson asked himself with perplexed pain and anger why it was that his parents had led so peaceful so dignified so wholly contented a married life while he himself and yet his own marriage had been a love-match or so those about him had all said with nods and smiles love-marriages having suddenly become the fashion in the rich provincial world of which he had then been one of the heirs apparent his old-fashioned mother would have preferred as daughter-in-law any one of half a dozen girls who belonged to her own good town of Falaise and whom she had known from childhood but jacques had been difficult to please and he was already thirty-two when he had met by a mere chance claire de kergue at her first ball she was only seventeen with but the promise of a beauty which was now in exquisite flower and he had decided there and then in the course of two hours that this demoiselle de kergue was alone worthy of becoming madame jacques de wisson and on the whole his prudent parents had blessed his choice for the girl was of the best breton stock and came of a family famed in the naval annals of france unluckily claire de Caroguet had had no dowry to speak of for her father the admiral had been a spendthrift and as is still the reckless breton fashion father of a large family three daughters and four sons but jacques de wisson had not allowed his parents to give the matter of claire's fortune more than a regretful thought indeed he had done further he had recognized a larger dowry than she had brought him to save the pride of her family but claire he could not help thinking of it to-day with a sense of bitter injury had never seemed grateful had never seemed to understand all that had been done for her had he not poured splendid gifts upon her in the beginning of their married life and what had been far more difficult had he not within reason contented all her strange whims and fantasies but not had availed him to secure even a semblance of that steadfast warm affection that sincere interest and pride in his concerns which is all such a frenchman as was jacques de wissant expects or indeed desires of his wedded wife had claire been such a woman jacques's own passion for her would soon have dulled into a reasonable comfortable affection but his wife's cool aloofness had kept alive the hidden fires the more 
so ironic are the tricks which sly dame nature plays that for many years past he had troubled her but very little with his company outwardly claire de wisson did her duty entertaining his friends and relations on such occasions as was incumbent on her and showing herself a devoted and careful mother to the twin daughters who formed the only vital link between her husband and herself but inwardly inwardly they two were strangers and yet only during the last few months had jacques de wissant ever felt jealous of his wife there had been times when he had been angered by the way in which her young beauty her indefinable mysterious charm had attracted the very few men with whom she was brought into contact but claire so her husband had always acknowledged to himself was no flirt she was ever perfectly correct correct was a word dear to jacques de wisson it was one which he used as a synonym for great things things such as honour fineness of conduct loyalty but fate had suddenly introduced a stranger into the dull decorous life of the pavillon de wisson and it was he jacques himself who had brought him there how bitter it was to look back and remember how much he had liked liked because he had respected commander dupree he now hated and feared the naval officer and he would have given much to have been able to despise him but that jacques de wisson could not do commander dupree was still all that he had taken him to be when he first made him free of his house a brilliant officer devoted to his profession already noted in the service as having made several important improvements in submarine craft from the first it had seemed peculiar to jacques de wisson's mind unnatural that such a man as was dupree should be so keenly interested in music and in modern literature but so it was and it had been owing to these strange untoward tastes that commander dupree and claire had become friends he now reminded himself for the hundredth time that he had begun by actually approving of the acquaintance between his wife and the naval officer an acquaintance which he had naturally supposed would be of the most correct nature then without warning there came an hour nay a moment when in that twilight hour which the french call twixt dog and wolf the most torturing and shameful of human passions jealousy had taken possession of jacques de wissant disintegrating rather than shattering the elaborate fabric of his house of life that house in which he had always dwelt so snugly and unquestioningly ensconced he had come home after a long afternoon spent at the hotel de vie to learn with tepid pleasure that there was a visitor commander dupree in the house and as he had come hurrying towards his wife's boudoir jacques had heard claire's low deep voice and the other's ardent eager tones mingled together and then as he the husband had opened the door they had stopped speaking their words clipped as if a sword had fallen between them at the same moment a servant had brought a lamp into the twilight room and jacques had seen the ravaged face of commander dupree a fair tanned face full of revolt and of longing leashed claire had remained in shadow but her eyes or so the interloper thought he perceived were full of tears since that spring evening the mayor of Falaise had not had an easy moment while scorning to act the spy upon his wife he was for ever watching her and keeping an eager and yet scarcely conscious count of her movements true commander dupree had soon ceased to trouble the owner of the pavillon de wissant by his presence the younger officers came and went but since that hour laden with unspoken drama their commander only came when good breeding required him to pay a formal call on his nearest neighbour and sometime host but claire saw dupree constantly at the chalet des dons her sister's house and she was both too proud and too indifferent it appeared to her husband's view of what a young married woman's conduct should be to conceal the fact this openness on his wife's part was at once jacques's consolation and opportunity for endless self-torture 
For three long, miserable months he had wrestled with those ignoble questions only the jealous know, now accepting as probable, now rejecting with angry self-rebuke, the thought that his wife suffered, perhaps even returned, Dupree's love. And today, instead of finding his jealousy allayed by her half-confidence, he felt more wretched than he had ever been. His horses responded to his mood, and going down the steep hill which leads into the town of Falaise, they shied violently at a heap of stones they had passed sedately a dozen times or more. Jacques de Wissant struck them several cruel blows with the whip he scarcely ever used, and the groom, looking furtively at his master's set face and blazing eyes, felt suddenly afraid. End of section two. Recording by Melissa Green.